gosh, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Yeah, that's exactly the sport, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd probably kind of come in the forehead. Welcome, everybody. Um, it's Monday morning. Frank is uh, not with me. He is in Alaska hunting caribou. So I figured we would do a, a very technical podcast while he's not around. And uh, I was able to convince Julie Bergen with OCD Strings to visit me on the podcast. Uh, how are you doing? Thank you for coming on. I'm good. I am getting caffeinated as we speak. So things are good. <laughs> I had some coffee and I'm drinking a C4 currently, so I'm trying to get hyped up on Mountain Dew as well. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so Julie, uh, you you own OCD Strings, but you're also uh, a level four instructor coach, and you yeah. you were an Olympic alternate. Have you, you you or did you almost? Oh gosh, I, no. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's, no, I I've done two of the Olympic team trials, um, but no, I have not made it yet. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so you're in, you're in San Diego and I recently just yeah. BSing with you. You're a vegetarian. You said you've killed seven to nine spiders. Three of them were Pope and Young. Yeah. Some, <laughs> yeah. Something like that. I'm not a big hunter. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Uh, well, you build a hell of a string and, um, you're a great shot. Thank and from, you. from what I understand, you're an amazing coach. So, since I am not an amazing coach and generally full of shit uh, and pretend to be one on a podcast, I, I figured we could talk about a little bit of your history, uh, about strings, coaching, just general uh, knowledge, things like that, if you're, if you're cool with that. I, literally, Julie has no idea who I am, and I called her out of the blue to order strings and said, can you do a podcast one day? So this is about as off the hip as you could get, off the cuff as you could get. Yeah, apparently you have lots of Instagram followers or something like that. I, I did. How did you, did you look? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I Google. I think I looked it up. Gotcha. Yeah, followers, and then we have I don't know an astronomical amount of people that I think we're. I think we have seven million downloads on Podbean on the podcast. So yeah, there'll be people pestering you with all kinds of questions after this. Ha ha, and not me because okay. I'm, I'm going to pass them on to you. <laughs> cool. I love having those conversations. Cool. So uh, with um, uh, like your, your background a little bit shooting wise, um, well, tell us a little bit about yourself and when coaching, uh, you know, how long ago did you become a level four instructor, things like that? Um, let's see, I did my level four about three years ago, I think, or four years ago, because I just had to renew it. So whatever that renewal cycle is. Um, but yeah, I didn't real, I, I was definitely not a, um, sports enthusiast growing up. I was a band geek. And so I really did not have anything to do with sports growing up. Did you go and to then, band um, camp? Uh, yeah. So was it like band camp? Remember on, uh, what was it <laughs> with the pie? Yes, I remember. And no, it was not like that. <laughs> you're not going to come out with some story like that, like a halfway through you're like this one time in band camp. I did play flute, but nothing like that ever happened. Holy cow. <laughs> this is going to be a good podcast. All right, go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't find archery until I was an adult. And um, I had a friend who was doing it. And she told me about it. And she showed me her bow. And I'm like, well, that's really cool. I want to go sometime. And she says, no, you can't come. You're too competitive. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. okay. So I didn't go for a number of months. And then eventually she says, well, no, I realized. So that's my own issue, and you can come sometime if you want to. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I, 
I did go and I got hooked immediately and I absolutely loved it. And, you know, it's a perfect sport for someone like me who I, I can't catch a ball. I can't throw, but, you know, standing on a line and shooting a bow, apparently I can do. <laughs> oh, that's, that's cool. And, uh, you know, as far as like your, um, neck of the woods, like I'm, I don't know if you know Bob from, uh, or his archery range down there, obviously he's a, a hunter, but do you stay pretty busy with the strings and the coaching? Well, I do have a real day job too, but yes, I do keep busy in my, um, in my spare time. I'm coaching a number of archers privately. So some of those are in person and some are via zoom coaching. And then I'm also coaching with archery LA. So I'm going up there uh, about twice a month to go coach with that program. And, uh, yeah, I make strings whenever I have a few spare minutes. So yeah, I, I have, um, the last of yours on the stretcher right now. Yeah. yeah I just ordered six strings from you, I guess, I think four, I'm an overachiever. Yeah. I always worry about. Yeah. So on, on that <laughs> note, just real quick, there is one thing I wanted to ask you. So I, and this could be total, uh, bullshit, but it always seems to me specific bows like a specific material and also some of them like endless loop, some of them like Flemish uh, strings. Is that some shit I made up in my own mind? Or is, would you say that you found that to be true, that some, some bows like uh, a different maybe blend or, or a, a different build than others? Or am I making that up? Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on it, it, you're really giving your bows an identity and a personality and they have opinions and thoughts. Um, my bows just have names, um, so I'm not sure. But for, for the most part, I'm shooting Olympic recurve, and so my it, it's more of a personal preference of the archer rather than the bow itself. What material is used? But maybe in your neck of the woods, the bows have more of a personality. Now it just seems like some are maybe a little bit quieter with one build than the other. Um, and again, I yeah, like it could be. I, I literally just ordered, I, you know, I have multiple bows and I had some strings built from America's Best and then I don't know what the other one, TTT strings, uh, Tre Trevor, Trevin, whatever. And then, uh, and then you, and one of the reasons I ordered more strings is one of my bows really likes, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people talk about endless loop kind of snap and I have not found that to be the case. Uh, sometimes I've found endless loop are actually quieter than Flemish. You know, depending well, it upon depends on what material is being used. I mean, you can't just say blanketly that Flemish or continuous loop is more quiet. It depends on the material as well. Well, so uh, I should, uh, I guess, preface that, that they're all 8125. Um, and okay. the, the one 8125 uh, Flemish, yours was actually quieter. And now this is a redneck test. It's not like I had... Um, you know, sound graphs or whatever around, but, you know, just having my wife listen and shooting, it seems to be as quiet with a endless loop string. And a lot of times, even though it may be in my mind, I'm still going to just lie to myself and go with it because it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Uh, so sure. it's your string. Also, I picked up um, a little bit of speed and I don't know, I, not speed's kind of relative when it comes to recurves for me for the most part but if i get one that's three to five feet faster it's free speed um yeah do you do you do you mess around with flemish much or do you do just endless loop um and no like i do <laughs> sorry 
Um, I do Flemish. I just can't make them right now because I've got a pretty good case of carpal tunnel and my hands go numb when I make them. So the neurologist made me promise to lay off the Flemish for a little while. Gotcha. I, I, so when you build your strings, um, and I, I, I used to build my own strings. I don't have the patience for it. I'm more than happy to pay someone like yourself to build them. When, <laughs> when people are looking at strings, and we've had a couple other string manufacturers hop on here. Um, w- one of the things that I have found and in talking with like Hoyt and a few other uh, different companies as far as the abuse or long-term abuse, a a blended type string like a 452 uh, has on a recurve in comparison to uh, an 8125 or D97. Um, you know, and this is something Cody Greenwood, who you're, I think, familiar with, uh, kind of dove down mm-hmm. a rabbit hole. I had a lot of limb issues, uh, limbs blow up shooting blended. And so just by troubleshooting, I went to 8125, which I was very familiar with from my compound days a long time ago. Um, have you found that an 8125 or a D97 is, is a little bit more friendly, uh, to recurves than some of the blended strings? Well, yes, I don't think the blended strings, meaning, you know, any material blended with Vectran should ever be used on a recurve bow. I think it puts too much vibration into the limbs and it can cause lung failure. So what are you trying to say? No, I'm just kidding. So that is kind of what I found by <laughs> redneck testing. And that became a huge yeah. shit show. Um, there were uh, string makers that were, of course, Cody was part of the problem because he's hard headed too, like cussing at each. I was laughing. It was like people watching in Boulder. Like I'm watching from the outside. You know, the one string builder is uh, basically saying Cody's lying and I messaged him and I'm like, hey, man, I, I, I blew up 13 sets of limbs. Um, I had bl- I had blended material on all those. What I'm 8125, I see, you know, my my mine is from a user standpoint, not a, not a lab standpoint um, with 8125. And then, of course, he starts. That's the same thing as D97. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I know what the fuck it is. OK, I, I don't need a history lesson. What I'm telling you is 8125. I haven't had as many limb issues or failures. And so I talked with Hoyt, who did a very, very long uh, term test that they said the failure rate of blended strings, even on a compound, um, was significant compared to like an 8125 or whatever they're using. So it's it's interesting to hear from you. There is no Olympic archer that has ever won or, or placed in the top three with a blended material, is there? That I know of or, or from my research. It is, it's very hard to get that data, so I don't know. Um, I, I do know that um, in the most recent Olympics, there was an archer whose limb failed. It was a Velos limb, and his limb failed during the Olympic rounds. And um, I reached out to him on Facebook and just, you know, said, I'm really sorry about what happened to you. I'm just curious what material you were using. And he was using mercury, which is, it, it is Dyneema. Um, it is. Um, a single material, but it is the stiffest of the that type of material that you can get. So, so, so I kind of on that bleeding edge of being dangerous. I, I had used mercury quite a quite a bit, um, and then what was before? There's a mercury, and there's another one that was supposed to be better than what's the other one? Um, good lord, the one from BCY, mercury and. Mercury is from BCY. Yeah, there's another one that's kind of the same um, 
along the same lines as mercury. Anyway, I quit using all that shit and just went back to 8125 and D97. And one of the reasons I didn't like D97 is in the compound days, you know, you called it the never, never quit string because it never quit stretching. What I have found, if it's built correctly, either D97 or 8125, I've had zero issues with uh, stretching when it's when it's built correctly. That's in very, you know, I I hunt anywhere from 13,000 feet to the desert in 100 degree temps and 98 percent humidity to freezing, you know, sub zero weather. If the string was built right and I shot it in, I, I haven't had issues with 8125. I've gotten zero stretch out of yours. You want to kind of talk about how to correctly build a string, what you do, how much, you know, if you pre-stretch, how much load do you put on there, uh, that that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, um, I can't really have that conversation without mentioning um, Butch Baker from Baker Archery Products because he builds all of the jigs that I use and he custom builds things for me and he's amazing. Um, so, I mean, really the, the secret for building a good string is building it under tension and making sure that there's even tension on all of the strands. And so... The, the jigs that he builds me, I am able to do that, which is really nice. I mean, I have archers who I'm coaching who want to try to make their own strings and they bring these, you know, aluminum flimsy things to the range and they're like, can I use this? I'm like, well, not if you want a good string. No, I mean, the, it, the secret is that you really need to build it under tension. And that includes the layout and everything. So all of my strings, even after they're constructed, I pre-stretch for about eight hours uh, to make sure that they're settled in and they're not going to be moving around and the brace height isn't going to be moving too much once the archer gets it, starts shooting it. Gotcha. And is that under like 250, 350, 400? I mean, how much pressure are you or tension or whatever you're putting on those? Or is that like super secret? I put 200 pounds on it. Um, I think for compounds and for the blended Vectran materials, um, most compound builders will do 400 pounds, but I am primarily building for Verbo, Olympic recurve and trad. So I don't put that kind of tension on it, especially because there is elasticity in that material. You don't want to get rid of that. You just want to pre-stretch it to the point where it's not moving around anymore. Gotcha. Um, so with, um, Kind of as we're diving down this rabbit hole, when I first ordered my strings from you, as Cody had, you know, we he, I kind of help him with some of the research uh, on the redneck side of things where he's more on the lab side. So he's like, okay, you got to order. And he gave me this list of, of companies. One of them was yours, which the name I thought, do you, so do you have OCD, uh, like level nine um, OCD issues? <laughs> Is that why you named it OCD <laughs> strings? Well, it just kind of fits. I've always been a perfectionist. And so, I mean, I, my, my first career was as a flute maker and I spent a lot of time, you know, working my way up the level to master craftsmen and there's a lot of detail and precision there. And I, I've always done that with everything that I do. So the name just kind of made sense. Gotcha. Well, so you had listed, um, cause I called you cause I'm looking at your website and I'm like, okay, I'm going to fuck this up. I need to call her and just talk to her. And so, yeah. um, so for, for, you know, for example, generally when I order strings from most string builders, I, I do my own center serving because I haven't had the best of luck without, with that center serving, not uh, moving. Um, and so I ended up, I generally do my own, uh, with yours. I didn't though, but you had had some suggestions for when I kind of explained what I'm doing with hunting, some of the more durable options, you kind of want to go over some of those, uh, different options, what people maybe want to look at. And then, 
I, I always get, um, hey, my knock doesn't fit. Should I file it? And I'm like, are you stupid? No, oh. reserve your, you know, so, you know, try to, you know, people like, hey, what, what serving uh, diameter should I use? And I'm like, well, I don't, what, how many strings is your string? What, what material is it? Uh, yeah. It's a very broad question. Kind of go into some of the different um, options for the build, what works better. And, and when people do have maybe uh, incorrect knock fit, um, you know, what, what to look at to fix that rather than filing down the knock and blowing their bow up. Um, talk about some of that stuff. Sure. Um, so, yeah, let's talk, start with end serving materials. Um, you, you want different characteristics in an end serving than you do in a center serving because the end serving needs to wrap around curves um, nicely without separating. And so there's uh, the BCY 2X material that I use for a, a standard material for all my bow strings that it, it wraps really nicely. It lays flat. It's a uh, really good material. But some people um, are a little bit more um, aggressive with their bow strings and, you know, where they set them down and what they rub against and things like that. And so some people want a more durable and serving material. Um, so the, the 62 XS is my favorite durable material. Um, because I think it has a little bit of resin in it, but it, it does not separate. It's really durable. It's um, a little bit thicker, just slightly. Um, but yeah, that folds up really nicely. Um, but I can do whatever end serving material people want. I mean, I have Halo. I have um, Angel Majesty. You know, people have their preferences. And so I can build whatever people want. That's kind of what makes it a custom bowstring. Okay, so um, you're, you're going to have to go into more depth there. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get hounded with, what the hell is Angel Manistee? What, as you're talking about those, and you're like, some people have personal preferences, some of these listeners do not, and so they need, you know, kind of can explain, like, what is Angel, um, why is that beneficial uh, on some of those options? Because a lot of people now, with all the, the growth in trad, are ordering these strings with, with no idea what their preference is yet. Yeah, um, I do have a whole page on my website detailing a lot of the uh, differences between these things. So I skipped that. that and just resource, called her. But, <laughs> what's that? I said I skipped that. I just called you. I didn't read a whole lot. My bad. <laughs> yeah, that works too. No, that's okay. Um, so yeah, Halo is a, a uh, also a BCY material. That one is um, really durable as well. Um, it's more popular with compound shooters usually. Um, then the, the 62XS, which uh, I said is a really good material and um, wraps around curves really nicely. Uh, there's also the Angel Majesty material, which is actually one that I prefer for center serving. But some, some people, they their coach says, oh, this is the best thing to get. You should go do this. And so people just blindly follow their coach without knowing the reasoning behind it. And sometimes that reasoning is just, oh, my, that's what my coach did, and that's what my coach did. You know, it's the old story story of, you know, that recipe passed down from generation to generation, and, you know, you're, you're told, okay, you're supposed to cut off the ends of the loaf. It's like, okay, well, why do you do that? Oh, well, because grandma didn't have the right size hand. It doesn't make any sense to do that. So I really like to know the reasoning behind recommendations before just blindly following things. But, yes, a lot of those materials are... Um, durable and really good, but um, it, it makes sense to understand why you're choosing a particular material. Gotcha. Well, and you, so kind of lay out, if you remember, w when I called you and just said, hey, this is what I do, and gave me my options, uh, why did you, um, 
what, why was, I think you said like the angel was more durable. Like what made you say, Hey, give this a try. I think this is going to be your best bet. Um, I, I'm assuming most of it was just because of the abuse the bow uh, sees. So is yeah. for a hunter, what is a good option uh, for, for a build? What would you suggest anyway? Well, the fact that you were ordering six bow strings at a time kind of made me think that you kind of trim through them and maybe they need to be a little more durable. <laughs> I beat the shit out of everything. Um, you know, yeah. rocks, cliffs are rough. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the 62XS is really the best uh, for a durable material that works well for the end serving. But, you know, the, the characteristics that make that good for an end serving um, don't translate to why that would be a good or a bad center serving. I mean, for a center serving, you're going to want something that your fingers are going to come off cleanly, that's durable, because there is, you know, you're touching your center serving a lot more. There's more um, abrasion going on there. So you want something that's going to be really, really durable and smooth there. So for the most part, I do every bowstring with the Angel Majesty serving material, which I found to be the most durable. I mean, really, the only way to abuse this stuff is really to cut it. I mean, you could probably take sandpaper to it and not much would happen not that i would recommend that but it is really durable the only thing is that for barebow shooters who are um, doing string blocking it is slippery so it's hard to hold a crawl with that material so for those shooters i typically use power grip instead because that has a little bit more grip to it so um, while still coming off the string pretty cleanly that, that's generally what i had been using was i've had great luck with power grip the 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 mm -hmm. angel is definitely more more durable. The only thing I would say is you got to have your shit together when you're tying on nail knots. Um, they do they do slide much easier on the angel than they do the the power grip. Um, or I was doing yeah. something wrong. Uh, if I am, don't make fun of me. Um, I had to retie them because the <laughs> the normal like snugness I I put down on the nail knot for power grip was not nearly enough um for the for the angel and so it's not an issue i was able to tighten it and it's fine but but that stuff is slick but for shooting three under i didn't you know i don't i don't, I don't string walk so i don't have an issue yeah yeah and that that is one of the reasons i typically glue my um knock sets as well now when you glue your knock sets because i've i've uh dudley um He's a compound guy, had, little fucker, had said on one of my podcasts not to glue knock sets, and I always have, um, I don't know if you like Matthews, back in the day they had serious issues with string separation, and I would actually take uh, super glue and rub it, or like, I think it was Durabond or whatever the hell it was called, to kind of glue um, the where it would wrap around a cam ahead of time, and I would glue it together and put accelerator on there, to help from it separating. And then on my knock sets, especially when I'm heading into the back country, I will put a dot of glue on those uh, to make sure they, they stay. And I've had great luck with that. I've glued D loops in place when a guy's knock or a peep height isn't turning correctly. I've, I've twisted mm -hmm. the D loop and then put glue on that to make the peep come true. You're good with that. You don't have any, it, he said it eats away the serving. I've never seen that shit happen, but You've never had any negative sides to it? I've never seen that happen. Um, usually I'm using the, the Loctite uh, super glue with a little brush. So it's like a little, uh, it's like fingernail polish almost, but it's super glue. And that, that you can apply very precisely. And I mean, 
I've had people tie on knock sets incredible, you know, and, you know, use incredible amounts of glue. And I don't see that it, I haven't seen it be a problem in terms of degrading the, the center serving. I mean, if you have to cut that knock set off and move it, that, that was a pain. <laughs> but beyond that, no, I haven't seen it being a problem. The reason I do um, the glue is because I really like to fine tune and micro adjust things. And so I, always had trouble with tying in an offset that's permanent and then I want to nudge it up or down just slightly I have to cut the whole thing off and redo it so the ones that I do are movable and so you can actually tie in your knot set and like screw it up and down the threads of the center serving like a screw and then once you get it to exactly where it needs to be then I lock it in with the super glue so that's the same thing I do. I use a nail knot and I'm able to twist it up and down. When I first put it on with the angel, like I didn't tighten it as much as I should have. So it's no big deal. I, and, but again, when I'm, when I'm bare shaft, uh, or broadhead tuning, especially at like 40 yards, a little bit of, uh, of change in that knock point, it goes a long ways. And so I'm overly anal with that as well, especially when I'm flinging a broadhead and an animal. Uh, but once I get it set, I, I actually write down, you know, the, the honey hole, right, where where my brace height is, my exact knock height. And, and it's funny, I actually write that on my limb. So when I'm in the field, if something gets screwed up, I can actually remember what the hell it was um, for that well, sp- specific. It's better to have it there than in a notebook. Well, yeah, especially backpack hunting. I don't want to carry a notebook in because I can barely make it with the food I have to eat. So a notebook's not coming along. So I just write those things down on my limb. Um and it's just, I just write brace height and knock height down, uh, and as well as tiller, j- just to be sure that if anything happens, I carry um, power grip with me for my nail knots if I have to cut one loose and retie it on. And then I actually take a Sharpie, a uh, silver Sharpie, and I'll make a mark between my knock points uh, just as kind of a reminder above and beyond, just a, a visual uh, kind of check of, oh, yep, I can still, you know, they're still in the same place. I don't. Do you do anything? I mean, as far as for, you know, in the field is different uh, than than tournaments, but I'm also not shooting for the Olympics or trying to make it. I'm, I'm, you know, wandering around like a Neanderthal. So what are some of the things that you have found like big issues that that people run into, whether it be like super humid or string stretch or, um, you know, kind of touch on those things and and, and how people maybe can combat that? Yeah, I mean, definitely I mark where my knock set goes, although I don't mark it directly on the bow. I mark it on my bow square. And so I'll literally like mark up my bow square with my, with a Sharpie just so that I know that I can slot that on there and check to make sure everything's the same. Yeah, one thing that people typically do is that they put on a new bow string and then they're like, okay, well, I guess I'll just guess where my knock set goes. It's like, well, you could actually just Mark it on your bow square with your old string, put the new string on, transfer that marking, and then tie on your knock set, and you're going to be pretty dang close. So, yeah, that's one thing that is really good to notate, and I do it directly on the bow square. So, you're right. If I lose my bow square, I'm screwed. It's not written directly on the bow, but it's, you know, pretty close. Well, I... Yeah. um, I haven't... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. Well, I was going to say, I haven't noticed a big difference in with the strings and humidity, I mean, yes, in hot temperatures, the string is going to stretch a little bit more and you're going to have to adjust your brace height a little bit. But for the most part, I've never really had issues with the, the knock spinning differently in humidity or anything like that. Gotcha. I, I think, um, like the, the moral of the story here is make sure you 
use your big brain that you have in your big noggin and um and pre uh, prep for um needing to change strings out like i i'm sure you're laughing when i ordered six strings but i i actually i put those on all different and i you know i i basically <laughs> i preset those up with the exact knock height the exact length and i get them all ready for season um and i have the knocks tied on i have everything marked ready to go and then i obviously every hunt i have a backup string and then i have one in the truck well, that's whether if i shit my pants on an animal and cut it with a broadhead because I was crapping myself and trying to get the arrow knocked and hit the string or abuse. Like I've, uh, you know, dragging, you know, uh, through willows and you can imagine some of the things we go through. I don't want to be at a point where I throw a new string on and I have no idea where everything's set. So I have everything preset uh, ahead of time. And a lot of people don't get into building strings or know how to center serve. I'm all for handing off to you my business to build the strings, but I have a string jig that I that I use that that just to center serve to make it easy and and um, get things lined lined up. Do you do you suggest that um, you know to people? I mean, do you think having a string jig is a horrible idea? Well, no, it's not a horrible idea, and some people do prefer a different knock fit. Um, like Cody and I do not agree on how a knock should fit on a string, um, but maybe that's another conversation. No, he's full of shit all um, the time anyway. You should talk about that. <laughs> well, he likes it very, very loose, and uh, it it hurts my OCD to to set up a string like that for him. But I will do it because he's very deliberate, and that's what he asked for. I'm like, okay. Wait till he blows his do. bow up because the knock came off and he didn't know. I bet that changes, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I have heard of crad shooters doing the most horrible things to their knocks. Um, yeah, filing them, heating them up in boiling water and squeezing them down. Um, yeah, that also hurts my OCD. Um, but the, the knock fit should be snug, um, but it should rotate on the knock slightly, but there shouldn't be side play in it. Like you shouldn't be able to rotate it back and forth if you're holding onto the arrow. So there, when I was, starting to shoot the, my coach would always tell me oh well you you twang the string and see if the knock will, the arrow comes off the string and it's like yeah you could do that but that's not a real scientific method there's no way to know that i'm twanging it harder or, or you know softer on any particular test um, but one good way to test it i found is um, something i learned from doug denton in a um I think it was part of a coaching series that I attended last year. But if you set up your bow square on your bow and attach your arrow pointed away from the bow, you should be able to see where your bow square ruler is in relation to the plunger button. You should be able to pull that arrow and it should travel about a half inch before it breaks free from the string. So that is a much more scientific way to measure that and to know that it's the same every time. And so that's the, the measure that I use for how a knock should fit. And I have that on my uh, website. There's a diagram. I think it's in one of the blog posts. Gotcha. And this is important, and this is compound or traditional. Improper knock fit can really be a motherfucker when it comes to tuning. Um, more so than people well, probably realize. Go ahead. Not only that, but it can be a safety issue as well. I mean, if your knocks are barely hanging onto your string, then what's to say that it gets a little bit loose and you don't essentially dry fire your bow? Oh, oh I'm sure that, that's going that's to gonna be... happen to Cody. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and again, it's like touching the stove. 
you don't know that that's bad until you touch it and and then and then you know not to touch it anymore and so what i have found with guys that like uh looser fitting knocks is in perfect conditions it's no problem generally but in the case especially mm-hmm. hunting or let's say some more maybe more of the extreme field shoots um off off canter like footing and in different angles and shooting off of cliffs the one thing that that is hard to tell especially when you're shooting three under if you are knocked up right underneath the knock you can't tell when the arrow is resting on your finger because it's usually resting on the mm-hmm. top of your tab which causes a lot of dry fires um mm-hmm. in hunting as you can imagine and you know you're at 12,000 feet and you're breathing extremely hard and you're hanging off a cliff shooting at a sheep or a mule deer, the last thing on your mind is that knock fit. Um, and this has happened a, a, a lot. And so for me, the twang thing that your your coach talked about, that seemed to kind of the general rule of mm-hmm. thumb in the 90s, like, oh, just pluck it and it should yeah. pop off. But it, you sh- if you hang it with the arrow going down, it shouldn't fall off. I mean, yeah. that's not a horrible way to do it, but probably not as precise. <laughs> As you talked about, yeah, as it could exactly. be. Um, I can tell just from doing it so long from the sound of how it snaps on for the most part of like I can hear a guy three guy three lanes down snap his knock on. I'm like, ooh, that's a little tight. That Jesus. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, again, the safety thing and, and the tuning thing, if that thing's too tight, it can cause some pretty erratic aero flight in comparison to. Um, you know, the, the proper fit, um, knock pinch is kind of the devil, um, at, at times, especially yeah. when you're trying to tune broadheads. Well, and that's usually what you're going to get with a string built from a local shop is that they want to make sure it's safe and that people aren't going to dry fire. So they just make that center serving incredibly big so that it fits tightly on all knocks. But you're right. That is not optimal for tuning and for, you know, good performance. No, no, uh, it's, it's not. And, and again, as people, I love the fact people are wanting to learn, um, you know, and, and the knowledge that's out there, which is why we're doing this podcast. The biggest thing though, is when you're talking about knock fit, if, if someone messages me, it's, it's not a one size fits all. You can't message me and say, Hey, what size of center serving do I need? There's a lot more. What knock are you using? How many strands is your string? Go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry, that's really one of my pet peeves is people are online giving recommendations for strand counts, not even discussing what material we're, we're talking about because materials are all different diameters. Um, so, yes, you're right. You can't just go to your coach and say, oh, well, what, what size center serving should I use? Because you're right, it's dependent on what knocks you're shooting. It's dependent on what material and strand count you're shooting and, uh, you know, a number of factors. So I won't even build a string without knowing what knocks someone is shooting. And um, some orders come in and people give me this list of 12 knocks. And they're like, these are the ones I shoot. I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't actually build a string that fits all of these knocks. So we, we need to narrow this down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it's, again, the knowledge is out there if you dig, you know, dig through it. A lot of things that you, that I find uh, at, at pro shops is, um, and I say this is with the, please keep this open-minded you have the people that work at the pro shop you have the pro shop rats that are in there all the time and some sometimes you don't get the most accurate information from the the pro shop rats specifically um again like i i'm in no position to give any coaching or any any advice on 
you know, tournament shooting other than a basic amount, that would be more your deal or a John Dimmer or whoever. But you do get an awful well, lot of... Well, I can't of, match his fashion sense. Yeah, he needs to do something about that shit. That, uh, his last outfit was something <laughs> special. Um, <laughs> no, Dimmer's he's yeah, a cool dude. Um, but with the, the psychedelic shirt and the, the boonie hat, like he's ready to go yeah. into the jungle, that threw me off a bit. Maybe that's part of a tournament strategy. Yeah, well, it'd blind me. It'd definitely throw me off. I'd probably drop a couple points. But what you know, when you're when you're yeah. getting advice, you want to get if you're a tournament shooter, get advice from from you or a dimmer or some of the other you know Dwayne Martin and some of the other more well known tournament shooters. And then with hunting, the advice isn't going to be too much different. There just may be a little bit more of a special twist. Meaning, let's say durability might be more of a factor for for a hunter. Um, you know, high, higher poundage, maybe something else where you might give a little bit different advice, a guy shooting 60 pounds compared to somebody shooting 38 pounds. Um, you know, as I'm rambling on with that, how much of a different of advice do you give from somebody setting up for a, uh, you know, FETA style tournament compared to somebody like me shooting 57, 58 pounds, uh, heading into the woods on the string bill? Do you vary very much for those? Well, I mean, it's going to be mostly a difference in materials used. So if you're right, you're out in the woods, you're going to want things that are more durable than you necessarily need, you know, on a, a feed of course. So for, for those people listening in, because um, you're on a, a timeline, um, for most get people hunting, what would your suggestion be for, for what you would build them for, for guys hunting anything from western uh hunting spot and stock tree stand hunting back east um i know you're not a hunter but you know how to build strings what would your ultimate build be like just to blueprint it like this is what you should probably look at what what would your suggestion be well i mean i would for, for the most part 8125 is a really solid material and that's the majority of what i'm building these days so i mean that that's a good solid material uh, the 62xs is really nice for the end servings it's really durable um but beyond that i'm not sure how to customize for hunting because that is so far from what i do well so i mean i, I have your string so you're selling yourself short just because you don't know what you're doing out of all the strings I have, yours is the one on my bow, so you're doing okay. The only thing, it didn't have silencers on it, so I put cat whiskers. Um, I don't even know. I do my own oh, yeah. cat whiskers. Do you put silencers on any of your strings? Is that an option? Because I, I didn't even look. No. No, I don't do that. So Yeah, I know there's beaver balls. There are those cat whisker things. You yeah, said beaver I, balls. I don't do any of that. If people want that, they can have their own. <laughs> yeah, you totally get my joke. You said balls. Um, So I, cat whiskers. Beaver balls? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, leave the beaver's balls yeah, alone. Yeah, we perverted the twelve-year-old. Julie, well, I do. I'm, that's how I live. Um, I just took. I just do cat whiskers, and I actually, you can adjust the tune, and you'll probably laugh at this. But if I have one set of cat whiskers, top and bottom, and I'm tearing uh, a little bit weak, I, I don't mind adding another uh, set of cat whiskers on here. It silences the bow. It doesn't hurt anything. I can adjust my brace height. There's a lot of things that you can do, but. That's one of those things. If you're getting a string um, from Julie, um, I, I personally, I'm a big fan of the cat whiskers. They're, you know, as far as the weather, they don't, you know, snap them real quick. Water comes off of them. Uh, they're easy to tie on. Um, with bare bow shooting, 
you're, you're, you can't have anything on the string for, for competition. Is that correct? Uh, you, bare I think the, the bigger factors with bare bow are that you can't have the center serving in your eye line. And so because of that, I've make, made some very short and some very long center servings for various uh, bare bow shooters. Um, I don't think you can have anything attached to the string for bare bow, although I'm still learning bare bow rules. I, I'm an Olympic reefer shooter, and uh, I've been making so many bare bow strings lately that um, I decided to shoot bare bow for, uh, for Vegas in February and I kind of dared my coach to do it with me and so now he's on board and he's running around daring other coaches to do it with us so it should be great fun but I'm learning a lot about Verbo in the process and spring walking and you know I've had Verbo shooters for years telling me that the Angel Majesty's center serving is too slippery to hold the crawl and so I'm like yeah sure I believe you then I tried it myself I'm like holy crap yeah I know what you mean now (laughs) Yeah, it it's it's slick. It's actually slick enough. I tied. Normally, I do four to five um, uh, wraps around for my nail knots, and uh, I, I actually uh, doubled it up just to make it more static, so my my tab can you know lock right to it. Um, not that it was an issue. I I'll choose durability over um, uh, anything else, and so it wasn't a, a huge deal. But uh, again, like with. When people order a, a string, they kind of go off of what something you say or I say or somebody else says without maybe learning like the craft or or, or the whys of, of that string. Mm-hmm. In the case of silencers, I'm not a big fan of, I, I mean, I love beavers, but I'm not a big fan of beaver balls. Um, a lot of the different options that have kind of been the, 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 the hunter's choice over the last years. I'm a real big fan of synthetic string silencers or uh, cat whiskers. Uh, it, it's really not that big of a deal to tie them on. I, I order, um, you know, small uh, power grip to tie them in there. Uh, I think it's what nineteen or eighteen thousandths. Is that what are the options? Is it eighteen or nineteen? I can't remember. It's eighteen. I Thank think. you. There you go. Uh, yeah. Eighteen. There's tons of videos online. I have some on my page um, on how to tie them on. It's super simple. So. If you order strings from from Julie, just order some cat whiskers and tie them on. It's not a not a big deal. Um, you know, I I don't do anything. I just throw throw a few wraps around it and then do a square knot and burn it in. It's pretty simple to get them tied in. Do you think you'll ever offer that? I I don't know. If you have enough people I pestering bet. you that are hunters after this podcast, do you think you'll throw in some cat whiskers? Maybe. I'm just bringing that up because that's going to happen and people are going to pester you. So I'm just asking you ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know much about it. If someone shows me exactly what needs to be done, I'm, I'm sure it's something I can figure out. Gotcha. So uh, as we're kind of covering all uh, across the board, all kinds of stuff, um, Can I? do you mind if I ask what you do for a real job or is that super secret? Oh, no, it's not super secret. Um, I am a product designer for an education tech company. Holy cow, that sounds important. Are you liking that? <laughs> yes, I am, actually. It's, it's a lot of fun. How much does your real job get in the way of your side job or vice versa? Um, occasionally they clash, but for the most part, um, string orders tend to trickle in, so I do those in the evenings and weekends. And, um, yeah, the regular job is, you know, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Gotcha. 
So for people that are, um, before we wrap this up, we're getting about 45 minutes. Where can people uh, find you, your website, if you have a social media page? How does the coaching work? Um, kind of go over all that for people listening in. Yeah, the website is ocdstrings.com. And there uh, is a lot of resource materials on there in, in addition to being able to order strings. So there's a lot on the various string materials um, and serving materials, all of that. And then I've been adding uh, blog posts as I have time to dive into various topics, um, one of which is not fit. Um, I just posted one last week on string materials and where they come from and which you know materials are equivalent to other materials and things like that. So I, I love doing that kind of stuff when I have time. Um, but, you know, that last blog post, I think I spent months researching. So <laughs> it takes up a bit of time. Um, but, yes, I also do coaching, and that can be either remote or uh, in person. So I, since I just moved down to San Diego in the last year and don't really know many people down here, I think most of my coaching at the moment is remote. Um, but I can do in person as well. So you're you're so, in yeah. San Diego, though, just so everybody knows if they're uh, listening in. Yes, I'm just outside San Diego. Gotcha. And do you have a, like a yes, local pro shop you you meet people at, or is it outdoors, or your house, or how's that work? Um, there are public ranges here, which is really nice because those don't exist up in Washington where I was before. Um, but I also have four acres and a 70 meter range setup, and I have a 20 yard bale, and I have a video indoor setup. So I have. All kinds of fun stuff here on the property. Okay. So for those people listening in, asking me for coaching advice, if you're near San Diego, stop bugging me. Just go see Julie. Um, now you're an NTS. <laughs> so you went through Kissick Lee um, for your, yeah. and so you're, you're the, the NTS um, system. Uh, that's my, my coach or Tom Clum out of Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. He's a level four uh, instructor as well with the, um, so people don't get too confused. Um, which there's been a few guys lately giving me me crap about shooting a canted bow so I can get my eye over the arrow compared to a vertical bow. I, I don't. I've had hunters get a hold of me worried about seeing a coach that's more of a vertical bow type of a coach, and it all everything is still the same. You're just angling your bow a little bit. I, I and, and I'm not saying you should follow my form because it sucks. Um, as far as the um, you know, I can't. I hunch over. Uh, you know, it's not not good. The, the general principle, if, if you're going to learn, and this is what I tell people, it's very easy for a guy who shoots a vertical bow to cant when needed. Um, it's more difficult for a guy canting his bow to shoot a vertical bow. Um, from what I've found, my, my anchor point is one of the problems. I anchor more on the side of the face, quite a bit back under my jaw. And so for me, because I gap shoot to see to use my arrow, I can't, I have to cant over to get my eye over the top of it. Um, don't laugh because any vertical bow shooter is always like, well, what you can do, but I got to shorten my draw length about an inch to get my string in front of my face to, to make it work, which I'm not going to do at this point because I shoot well enough without it. But if people are looking at seeing Julie, it's the same shit. It doesn't matter if you're shooting a vertical bow or not. You're going over alignment and things like that. So you want to talk about some of the NTS um, instruction, kind of what you preach, what you teach, things like that for people listening in? Yeah. I mean, NTS is definitely de designed more for um, 
target shooting and, you know, precision rather than hunting. I mean, I'm sure there are different factors that go into that that I don't totally understand. Um, but the, the principle of NTS is um, getting your bones in line so that your skeletal structure is holding the weight of the bow and it's not your muscles doing all of the work. And so that's basically what we're trying to do is to get into good alignment so that you can do that. Now, everybody is slightly different. I don't really believe that there is one form that works for absolutely everybody out there. Everybody's got their individual differences. I've worked with archers that are missing fingers, so it's harder for them to hook, and we need to figure things like that out. I mean, everybody has their own issues. And, I mean, I've been involved with some para-archers who also have, you know, various disabilities and things that they have to overcome. So it's a lot of figuring out what works for the individual and then going from there and seeing what can be, um, uh, sorry, what can be repeatable and accurate. Gotcha. So that is, um, have you, have you looked at all at me shooting, uh, where you can pick apart and make fun of my form or have you paid attention at all? No, I have, I have never seen you shoot a bow. Well, you suck. Um, I was hoping you'd make fun of me. No, I, I, uh, the, the one thing that, that, and Cody and I've talked about this, uh, at a, at a great length because there's certain things I have in my form. I kind of have a downward release, which is really bad juju. Um, Cody had hooked up a, I don't know if you've seen his tiller contraption, but he has a bow scale that is at the top limb and one at the bottom limb. So when you draw your bow, you see inaccurate pressure or string torque from those uh-huh. scales. Um, and, and it, the more you get to know Cody, his brain does not look like work like most humans. Um, Tom Clum with Rocky mountain specialty gear had come out with a grip trigger and it's a little, uh, basically a piece of metal that you indent and it clicks, um, in, in, in rather using that rather than using like a limb clicker or a cricket or whatever. I didn't use it for that. What I found real quick when I got that on my bow was my grip was really inconsistent because I'm like, this piece of shit isn't clicking all the time correctly. And I'm like, actually, I'm the piece of shit because it's not moving. It's my grip. So I when I drew that back with Cody's, even with my goofy form, I actually was very consistent without a, a string clicker or a draw check to where I was within a half a pound on the top and bottom limb. I would say that attributes to the grip clicker um, and having where I'm not putting a lot of heel difference in the bow or whatever. Um, What what I guess what I'm bringing, uh, you know, to is you can do things wrong as long as you do them wrong consistently. The problem is, is doing. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I've seen some form at some, some national events that, you know, should not produce the results that they do. But. If you can do it consistently, I mean, that's the name of the game. I mean, hopefully, if you're doing something consistently, it's not something that's going to be hurting you in the long run. But, yeah, anything you can do consistently, you, you will you will see the results. So touch a little bit more on that, because if you're doing it in if you're doing it consistently and wrong, your uphill road to hoe is going to be much more difficult than just doing it correctly. The first go around, I'm lucky enough that I did it wrong enough for so long that I was able to repeat it and shoot well enough. But if I wouldn't have had some of those issues, repeatability is a lot easier when you're following the quote unquote textbook I have found. Would you agree with that? And what are some of the textbook things people shouldn't deviate from? Yeah, I mean, there are different textbooks. I mean, look at the different countries and what we saw in the Olympics recently. I mean, there are certain countries that 
have form that are, is definitely different from what we in the U.S. consider good form, and yet they're shooting really well and, and you know, moving up in the ranks. So a- anything can be done consistently. It's just a matter of being able to do it in a way that's not going to fatigue you as quickly. So like the, that bone-on-bone alignment, if you're not having to use your muscles as much, that's more sustainable. You can shoot longer and more accurately that way. So that will help you out. But yeah, anything that you can do the exact same every time, you're going to get the same results. What would you say are some of the um, the big no-nos uh, before we hop off here that you people should really uh, kind of stay away from or, or start off on the right track, like maybe the top three? Oh, gosh. In terms of what? Shooting? Yeah, shooting. So when I like say form? that, meaning form over bowed, incorrect draw length, where they anchor, the collapsing, elbow being outside or inside of center. Like, what are the big okay. three? Well, you, know, you didn't prep for this shit? That, <laughs> Come on, Julie. <laughs> one of the top things that um, I think is really important is engaging the back muscles. Um, so many archers are out there. They might be shooting well, but if they're using just their arm, those are smaller muscles that are going to get fatigued faster. And so getting into those back muscles is critical. Um, but also, yeah, trying to get into alignment and having a consistent anchor are definitely up there in things that are going to be helpful. That's only two. You got to come up with a third. No, I said back alignment and anchor. Those are three. Oh, anchor. Gotcha. So with, with anchoring, um, me being kind of on the outside of my face under my ear, uh, which is, you know, why it's a little more difficult for me to shoot a vertical bow. Would, what, what is kind of an anchor point that you suggest? I'm sure obviously it's relative to what's comfortable for people, but what, what do you suggest for the Olympic style shooting that you're doing? Well, that's one of the things about Olympic recurve. I mean, you ideally have bone-on-bone contact, which is much more repeatable and accurate because you don't have the, you know, soft material of your face squishing around on you. So anything that's going to be bone-on-bone is going to be much more repeatable. And uh, even to the point where everybody is slightly different. Um, I knew an archer who at one point had TMJ surgery and so had a metal plate in his jaw. And so he would use that as a reference point to anchor. So everybody's going to be different. But if you can find things that are unique to you that are bone on bone and repeatable, that's going to give you the best result. Gotcha. So if you're going to sum a few things up before you get off the horn here, especially for coaching and people, um, you know, maybe struggling or whatever, like, I always just suggest call a coach um, when anybody's struggling, whether it be their release or, or general form or alignment, even with you doing it over zoom or however you're doing your, um, yeah. you can pick that apart fairly quickly. I would assume just even if it's not in person, um, I, I would assume, yeah. I mean, what, what somebody, should they just call you? How, how's that work as far as getting some coaching from you? If it's um, well, for me specifically, uh, yeah, they need to fill out a form and I need to decide which archers I, I want to work with and which ones I think will work, be a good working relationship because not everybody works well together. And so sometimes I refer archers to other coaches who I think will be um, better to work with them. Um, but yeah, if, if archers want to work with me, there's a form they can fill out online and then I'll call them up and we'll chat a bit and figure out 
what they're working on and what their goals are and what they want to achieve and figure out if that's going to be a good relationship there. But for the most part, I meet with my archers once a week and we have sessions and they have homework and um, I make them fill out, you know, daily archery logs and things like that to document what they're working on and what's working and what's not and uh, things like that. Um, but in general, if, if people are not in my area or um, have access to other coaches, I mean, it's probably always going to be better to consult a coach rather than, you know, getting 12 opinions on my form on the Internet. Gotcha. And all that's super easy to fill out on OCD.com. What was it again? Yep. OCDstrings.com. Okay. So if I sent that in, are you kicking me to the curb or you would you help? Well, I don't know. It sounds like you can't pretty badly. <laughs> I do. That's what I'm asking. Are you going to shit can me and not even ha- like build the relationship or what? <laughs> no, but I might refer you to a, a coach that knows more about hunting than I do. Potentially. Well, I don't know. I have, I've never seen you shoot. Gotcha. I'll send a video. You'll probably kick me to the curb before it even gets going. I, uh, it, it's just different, but that's one. Well, the only reason I'm bringing this up and making jokes about it is, no matter if you can't or shoot a vertical bow, if you're having issues, just go see a go see a coach, whether it's online or in person, because I have found you are not going to fix yourself. Uh, maybe one in a million, but you're you're generally not going to be a slump and just shoot your way out of it. You shot yourself into the slump, and and that's generally a form issue. Sometimes it's mental, but a coach can help out mentally uh, and form both. And you know, it's very important to find somebody you trust that has good knowledge that can talk you off the ledge or when you're having a bad day or a bad hunt. And so it's very smart of you to be able to kind of pick and choose who you want to work with, um, you know, because you got to have a rapport with your with your student and vice versa. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been through my share of coaches and there are certain people that you just the way they describe things clicks in your head better than others. And so it helps to find that person. That's gotcha. a well, I think you have a meeting coming up. I've taken up the majority of your yeah, morning, uh, but I really appreciate you hopping on here. Everybody uh, check out OCD Strings, uh, Julie. And if you need coaching and she doesn't think you're an idiot, she'll pick you up. Um, so, <laughs> I did not use the word idiot. I, I just threw that in there. So, But thank you so much for hopping on. I had a good time and I appreciate uh, you helping out yeah. spreading knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thanks.